3. Your side horse, Beanie, Lord bless your ignorance, I should be satisfied if they'd only make it hody now and then. How long have you been in the Hackney line? Offside horse, I have occupied my present degraded position about two years. Little thought my poor mamma, when I was foaled, that I should ever come to this. Near side horse, ah, it ain't very respectable, is it? Especially since the cabs and buses have dropped over our heads. What was you put to? You look as if you had been well brought up. Offside horse. My mamma was own sister to a lottery, but unfortunately married a horse much below her in pedigree. I was the produce of that union. At five years old I entered the army under Ensign Basshard. Near side horse bless me. How odd. I was bought at Horncastle to serve in the dragoons, but the veterinary man found out I'd a splint and wouldn't have me. I say, ain't that stout woman with a fat family looking at us? Offside horse. I'm afraid she is. People of her grade in society are always partial to a dilatory shilling worth. Near side horse eye. And always lives up Snow Hill. Or Ludgate Hill. Or Mud Hill. Or a hill somewhere. Woman. Coach. Near side horse. She's a-hailing us. I wonder whether she's nervous. I'll let out with my hind leg a bit kick oh lord. The rheumatize. Offside horse. Pray don't. I abjure subterfuges. They are unworthy of a thoroughbred. Near side horse. Thoroughbred? I like that. Haven't you just acknowledged that you were a cocktail? Thank God. She's moving on. Hello. There's old red ipony. A willanus tory. Offside horse. I beg to remark that my principles are conservative. Near side horse. And I beg to remark that mine isn't. I sarved red ipony out at Westminster Lectile on the other day. He got into our coach to go to the pole, and I wouldn't draw an inch. I warned going to take up a plumper for Riz. Offside horse. I declare the obese female returns. Woman. Coach. Hello. Coach. Waterman. Here you island man. Kick. 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 Come along. Pulling the coach and horses. Offside horse. Oh heavens. I am too stiff to move. And this brute will pull my head off. Near side horse. Keep it on one side, and you spiles his purchase. Waterman come up, you old brute. Offside horse, old brute. What evidence of a low mind. The stout woman and fat family ascend the steps of the coach. Coach, oh law, oh, law. Weak, weak, oh law, oh law. Weak, weak. Near side horse do you hear how the poor old things is suffering? She must feel it a good deal to have her squad set on by everybody as can pay for her. She was built by Pierce, of Long Acre, for the Duchess of Dorsetshire. I wonder her perch don't break she has been crazy a long time. Waterman, Snow Hill opposite the Saracen's head, near side horse. I know it. Coachman, kick, kick, whip, whack, whack, offside horse, pull away. My dear fellow. A little extra exertion may save us from flagellation. Near side horse. Well, I'm pulling. Ain't I? Offside horse. I don't like to dispute your word, but whack oh. That was an abrasion on my shoulder. Near side horse. Arah you mean. Who's not pulling now? I should like to know. Offside horse. I couldn't help hopping then. You know what a grease I had in my hind leg. Near side horse. Well, haven't I a splint and a corn? And ain't one of my four fetlocks got a formosus, and my hind legs the string halt? Woman, stop, stop, coachman, who up, D.N.U., offside horse, there goes my last masticator, 
near side horse, and I'm blowed if he hasn't jerked my head so that he's given me a crick in the neck, but never mind, if she does get out here, we shall save the hill, woman, three doors higher up, coachman, chuck, chuck, whip, whack, whack, coachman, come up, you varmint, offside horse varmint, and to me, the nephew of the great lottery, oh Pegasus, what shall I come do next, near side horse, Thalamo beef, maybe, or perhaps pork sausages, the old woman was so long in that house where she stopped, that I was obliged to tobble home, for my wife has a rather unpleasant way of taking me by the scruff of my neck if I ain't pretty regular in my hours, years, very obediently, T.O.B., court circular, communicated exclusively to this journal by Master Jones, whose services we have succeeded in retaining, though opposed by the enlightened manager of a metropolitan theatre, whose anxiety to advance the interest of the drama is only equaled by his ignorance of the means, since the dissolution of Parliament, Lord Melbourne has confined himself entirely to stews. stalls have been fitted up in the royal nursery for the reception of two alderney cows, preparatory to the weaning of the infant princess, which delicate duty Mrs. Lilly commences on Monday next. Sir Robert Peel has been seen several times this week in close consultation with the chief cook. Has he been offered the premiership? Mr. Moratton dear, the amateur Turner, has been a frequent visitor at the palace of late. Palmerston, it is whispered, has been receiving lessons in the art. We are surprised to hear this, for we always considered his lordship a tolerant in turning. A quarter-day cogitation, written on the back of a noted tailor's bill. By winter's chill the fragrant flower is nipped, to be new clothed with brighter tints in spring. The blasted tree of verdant leaves is stripped, a fresher foliage on each branch to bring. The aerial songster molts his plumery, to vie in sleekness with each feathered brother, a twelve-month swear half tie on my neck from me, my seedy coat, when shall I get another, note, confiding tailors are entreated to send their addresses, prepaid, to Punch's office, P.S., none need apply who refuse three years' acceptances, if the bills be made renewable, by agreement, continuations, will be taken in any quantity, if I easy or only if I please. Street politics. A dramatic dialogue between Punch and his stage manager. Enter Punch. Punch. Rru to toit toit. Sings. We all about and turn about. And do jay so. Every time I turn about. I jump Jim Crow. Manager. Hollow. Mr. Punch. Your voice is rather husky today. Punch. Yes. Yes. I've been making myself as hoarse as a hog. Bawling to the free and independent electors of Grogsville all the morning. They have done me the honor to elect me as their representative in Parliament. I'm an MP now. Manager. An MP. Gammon. Mr. Punch. The dog T.O.B. Wow. 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 Woof. Woof. Punch. Fact. Upon my honor. I'm at this moment an unit in the collective stupidity of the nation. Dog T.O.B. Rrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
sir, I'm above having any principles but those that put money in my pocket, manager, I mean on what interest did you start, punch, on self-interest, sir, the only great, patriotic, and noble feeling that a public man can entertain, manager, pardon me, Mr. Punch, I wish to know whether you have come in as a Whig oratory, Punch, as a Tory, decidedly, sir, I despise the base, rascally, paltry, beggarly, contemptible Whigs, I detest their policy, and the dog Toby, bow, wow, woof, woof, manager, hollow, Mr. Punch, what are you saying, I understood you were always a staunch Whig, and a supporter of the present government, Punch, so I was, sir, I supported the Whigs as long as they supported themselves, but now that the old house is coming down about their ears, I turn my back on them in virtuous indignation, and take my seat in the opposition bus, manager, but where is your patriotism, Mr. Punch, Punch, where every politician's island sir in my breeches pocket, manager, and your consistency, Mr. Punch, Punch, what a green chap you are, after all, a public man's consistency. It's only a popular delusion, sir. I'll tell you what's consistency, sir. When one gentleman's in and won't come out, and when another gentleman's out and can't get in and when both gentlemen persevere in their determination that's consistency. Manager, I understand, but still I think it is the duty of every public man to punch, sings, wheel about and turn about, and do jay so, every time he turn about, he jumps Jim Crow. Manager. Then it is your opinion that the prospects of the Whigs are not very flattering? Punch. Tease all up with them. As the young lady remarked when Mr. Green and his friends left Waddell in the balloon, they hadn't a chance. The election returns are against them everywhere. England deserts them, Ireland fails them, Scotland alone sticks with national attachment to their backs. Like of the dog Toby. Bow. Wow. Wow. Woof. Manager. Of course. Then. The Tories will take office. Punch. I rather suspect they will, had they not been licking their chops for ten years outside the treasury door, while the sneaking wigs were helping themselves to all the fat it gets within, had they not growled and snarled all the while, and proved by their barking that they were the fittest guardians of the country, had they not wept over the decay of our ancient and venerable constitution, and had they not promised and vowed, the moment they got into office, that they would send round the hat, manager, very good, Mr. Punch, but I should like to know what the Tories mean to do about the corn laws. Will they give the people cheap food? Punch. Mumber but they'll give them cheap drink. They'll throw open the Thames for the use of the temperance societies. Manager. But if we don't have cheap corn, our trade must be destroyed. Our factories will be closed. And our mills left idle. Punch. There you're wrong. Our treadmills will be in constant work. And, though our factories should be empty, our prisons will be quite full. Manager, that's all very well, Mr. Punch, but the people will grumble a little if you starve them. Punch, I, hang them, so they will, the populace had no idea of being grateful for benefits. Talk of starvation, pooh, I've studied political economy in a workhouse, and I know what it means. They've got a fine plan in those workhouses for feeding the poorer devils. They do it on the homeopathic system, by administering to them oatmeal porridge in infinitesimal doses. But some of the paupers have such proud stomachs that they object to the diet, and actually die through spite and villainy. Oh, tis a dreadful world for ingratitude, but never mind send round the hat. Manager, what is the meaning of the sliding scale, Mr. Punch? 
Unch. It means when a man has got nothing for breakfast, he may slide his breakfast into his lunch, then, if he has got nothing for lunch, he may slide that into his dinner, and if he labors under the same difficulties with respect to the dinner, he may slide all three meals into his supper, manager, but if the man has got no supper, punch, then let him wish he may get it, manager, oh, that's your sliding scale, punch, yes, and a very ingenious invention it is for the suppression of dentals, send round the hat, manager, at this rate, Mr. Punch, I suppose you would not be favorable to free trade, Punch, certainly not, sir, free trade is one of your newfangled notions that mean nothing but free plunder, I'll illustrate my position, I'm a boy in a school, with a bag of apples, which, being the only apples on my farm, I naturally sell at a penny apiece, and so look forward to pulling in a considerable quantity of browns, when a boy from another farm, with a bigger bag of apples, comes and sells his at three for a penny, which, of course, knocks up my trade, manager, but it benefits the community, Mr. Punch, Punch, D and the community, I know of no community but Punch and Company I'm for centralization and individualism I on every man for himself, and Punch for us all, only let me catch any rascal bringing his apples to my form, and see how I'll cob him. So now send round the head and three cheers for Punch's politics. Songs for the sentimental. Number one. Oh reveal. Bow fay like stranger. Why this lonely path you seek? Every step is fraught with danger unto one so fair and meek. Where are they that should protect thee in this darkling hour of doubt? Love could never thus neglect thee. Does your mother know you're out? Why so pensive? Harry Maiden. Pearly tears begin thine eyes. Sure thine heart is overladen. When each breath is fraught with sighs, say, half care life's heaven clouded, which hope stars were wont to spangle, what hath all thy gladness shrouded, has your mother sold her mangle, a public convenience, we are requested to state, by the Marquis of W that, for the convenience of the public, he has put down one of his carriages, and given orders to Pierce, of Long Acre, for the construction of an easy and elegant stretcher, candidates under different phases illustration, canvassing, what a love of a child the deputation, if you think me worthy the successful candidate, constituents rascals the hustings, don't mention it I beg the public dinner, the proudest moment of my life fine arts, punch begs most solemnly to assure his friends and the artists in general, that should the violent cold with which he has been from time immemorial afflicted, and which, although it has caused his voice to appear like an infant lablica screaming through horse hair and thistles, yet has not very materially affected him otherwise should it not deprive him of existence please Gog and Magog, he will, next season, visit every exhibition of modern art as soon as the pictures are hung, and further, that he will most unequivocally be down with his coup de baton upon every unfortunate knob requiring his peculiar attention, that he independently rejects the principles upon which these matters are generally conducted, he trusts this will be taken as an assurance, should the handsomest likeness taker gratuitously offer to paint Punch's portrait in any of the most favorite and fashionable styles, from the purest production of the general morning school and all performed by Cesars to the exquisitely gay works of the President of the Royal Academy, even though his presidentship offered to do the nose with real Carmen, and throw Judy and the little one into the background, Punch would not give him a single eulogistic syllable and murdered. A word to the landscape and other perpetrators, none of your little bits for punch none of your insinuating cabinet gems no artful union system of doing things Hopkins to praise for one reason, 
Hopkins to censure for another and as Punch has been poking his nose into numberless unseen corners, and, notwithstanding its indisputable dimensions, has managed to screen it from observation, he has thereby smelled out several pretty little affairs, which shall in due time be exhibited and explained in front of his proscenium, for special amusement, in the meantime, to prove that Punch is tolerably well open this line of pseudo-criticism. He has prepared the following description of the private view of either the Royal Academy or the Suffolk Street Gallery, or the British Institution, for 1842, for the lovers of this very light style of reading, and to make it as truly applicable to the various specimens of art forming the collection or collections alluded to. He has done it after the peculiar manner practiced by the talent conductor of a journal purporting to be exclusively set apart to that effort to illustrate with what strict attention to the nature of the subject chosen, and what an intimate knowledge of technicalities the writer above alluded to displays, and with what consummate skill he blends those peculiarities, the reader will have the kindness to attach the criticism to either of the works he render catalogued most agreeably to his fancy, it will be, moreover, shown that this is a thoroughly impartial way of performing the operation of soft anointment, should the friends of any of the artists deem the praise a little too oily they can easily add such a tag as the following, in our humble judgment, a little more delicacy of handling would not be altogether out of place, or, beautiful as the work under notice decidedly island we recollect to have received perhaps as much gratification in viewing previous productions by the same, for the half-condemned, this artist island we much fear, on the decline, we no longer see the vigor of handling and smartness of conception formerly apparent in his works, or, a little stricter attention to drawing, as well as composition, would render this artist's works more recommendatory. The totally condemned, either of the following, taken conjointly or separately, a perfect dog, possessing not one single quality necessary to create even the slightest interest and disgrace to the exhibition who allowed such a wretched production to disgrace these walls, woefully out of drawing, and as badly colored, and such like. A commentary on the elections by the beadle of Somerset House, well, locks a day, things seem going on in common queer, for they say that the Tories are bowling out the wigs almost everywhere, and the blazing red of my beadle's coat is turning to pink through fear, lest I should find myself and staff out of office sometime about the end of the year, I've done nothing so long but stand under the magnificent portico of Somerset House, that I don't know what I should do if I was for to go, what the electors are at, I can't make out, Upon my soul, for it's a law of nature that the wig should be atop of the pole. I've had a snug berth of it here for some time, and don't want to cut the connection, but they do say the wigs must go out, because they've no other election, what they mean by that, I don't know, for ain't they been electioneering that island they've been canvassing, and spouting, and pledging, and ginning, and beering, hasn't Crawford and Patterson, Lyle, Masterman, Wood, and Lord John Russell forever so long been keeping the great metropolis in one alarming bustle, ain't the two first retired into private life that's the genteel for being rejected, and what's more, the last four, strange to say, have all been elected, then Thamesbury Tom and Mr. Walkley, as wears his hair all over his coat collar, half single quote and single quote tea they frightened Mr. Took, who once said he could beat them holler, then at Lambeth, Ain't Mr. Baldwin and Mr. Cabell been both on and bottled by Mr. Dinkert and Mr. Hawes, who makes soap yellow and mottled, and hasn't Sir Benjamin Hall, and the gallant Commodore Napier, made such a cabal with Cabell and Hamilton as would make any chap queer, 
whilst Sankey, who was backed by a cleaver for marijuana looks cranky, echoes the electors, like lisping babbies, cried out, no Sankey, then Southark has sent Alderman Humphrey and Mr. B. Wood, who has promised, that if ever a member of Parliament did his duty he would, then for the Tower Hamlets, Robinson, Hutchinson, and Thompson, find that they're in the wrong box, for the electors, though turn to clay, still gallantly followed the fox, whilst Westminster's chosen is not rouse of the eagle though I once seed a picture where there was a great big bird, very like a goose, along with a leader, and hasn't Sir Robert Peel and Mr. Accord been down to Tamworth to be receded, they ought to get an act of Parliament to save them such fatigue, for it's always ditto repeated, whilst at Leeds, Beckett and Alden have put Lord Jocelyn into a considerable fume, who finds it no go, though he's added up the poll books several times with the calculating boy, Joe Hume, so if there's been no other election, I should like to find out what all the late squibbing and fibbing, placarding, and blackguarding, losing and winning, beering and ginning, and every other etc., has been about, to the black bald of the United Service, black bottles at Brighton, to darken your fame, black Sundays at Hunslow, to add to your shame, black balls at the club, show Lord Hill's growing duller, he should change your command to the guards of that color, on the introduction of pantomime into the English language, English it has been remarked a thousand and odd times is one of the few languages which is unaccompanied with gesticulation, your veritable Englishman, in his discourse, is as chary as your genuine Frenchman is prodigal, of action, the one speaks like an oracle, the other like a telegraph, Mr. Brown narrates the death of a poor widower from starvation, with his hands fast locked in his breeches pocket, and his features as calm as a horse pond. Emil Brown tells of the debut of the new dancers, with several kisses on the tips of his fingers, a variety of taps on the left side of his satin waistcoat, and his head engulfed between his two shoulders, like a cockboat in a trough of the sea. The cause of this natural diversity is not very apparent. The deficiency of gesture on our parts may be a necessary result of that prudence which is so marked a feature of the English character. Mr. Brown, perhaps, objects to using two means to attain his end when one is sufficient, and consequently looks upon all gesticulation during conversation as a wicked waste of physical labor, which that most sublime and congenial science of Paul, Econ, has shown him to be the source of all wealth, to indulge in pantomime island therefore, in his eyes the same as throwing so much money in the dirty crime which he regards as second in depravity only to that of having none to throw. Napoleon said, many years back, we were a nation of shopkeepers, and time seems to have increased, rather than diminished, our devotion to the ledger. Gold has become our sole standard of excellence. We measure a man's respectability by his banker's account, and mete out to the pauper the same punishment as the felon. Our very nobility is a nobility of the breeches pocket, and the highest personage in the realm her most gracious majesty the most gracious majesty of 500.000 L. per annum, nor is this to be wondered at, to a martial people like the Romans, it was perfectly natural that animal courage should be thought to constitute heroic virtue, to a commercial people like ourselves, it is equally natural that a man's worthiness should be computed by what he is worth, we fear it is this commercial spirit, which, for the reason before assigned, is opposed to the introduction of pantomime among us, and it is therefore to the spirit that we would appeal, in our endeavors to supply a deficiency which we cannot but look upon as a national misfortune and disgrace, it makes us appear as a cold-blooded race of people, which we assuredly are not, for, 
after all our wants are satisfied, what nation can make such heroic sacrifices for the benefit of their fellow creatures as our own? A change, however, is coming over us, a few pantomimic signs have already made their appearance amongst us. It is true that they are at present chiefly confined to that class upon whose manners politeness places little or no restraint barbarians, who act as nature, rather than as the book of etiquette dictates, and among whom, for that very reason, such a change would naturally first begin to show itself, yet do we trust, by pointing out to the more refined portion of the British public, the advantage that must necessarily accrue from the general cultivation of the art of pantomime by proving to them its vast superiority over the comparatively tedious operations of speech, and exhibiting its capacity of conveying a far greater quantity of thought in a considerably less space of time, and that with a saving of one half the muscular exertion a point so perfectly consonant with the present prevailing desire for cheap and rapid communication that we say we hope to be able not only to bring the higher classes to a look upon it no longer as a vulgar and extravagant mode of expression, but actually to introduce and cherish it among them as the most polite and full of all accomplishments. But in order to exhibit the capacities of this noble art in all their comprehensive excellence, it is requisite that we should, in the first place, say a few words on language in general. It is commonly supposed that there are but two kinds of language among men the written and the spoken, whereas it follows, from the very nature of language itself that there must necessarily be as many modes of conveying our impressions to our fellow creatures, as there are senses or modes of receiving impressions in them. Accordingly, there are five senses and five languages, to wit, the audible, the visible, the olfactory, the gustatory, and the sensitive, to the two first belong speech and literature, as illustrations of the third, or olfactory language, may be cited the presentation of a pinch of prince's mixture to a stranger or a bottle of bouquet du roi to a fair acquaintance, both of which are but forms of expressing to them nasally our respect. The nose, however, is an organ but little cultivated in man, and the language which appeals to a island therefore, in a very imperfect state, not so the gustatory, or that which addresses itself to the palate. This, indeed, may be said to be imbibed with our mother's milk. What words can speak affection to the child like a campaign what language assures us of the remembrance of an absent friend like a brace of woodcocks? Then who does not comprehend the eloquence of dinners, a rump steak, and bottle of old port? Are not these to all guests the very emblems of the steventurial, venison, and champagne, the unmistakable types of respect? If the citizens of a particular town be desirous of expressing their profound admiration of the genius of a popular author, how can the sentiment be conveyed so fitly as in a public dinner, or if a candidate be anxious to convince the free and independent electors of a certain burden of his disinterested regard for the commonweal, what more persuasive language could he adopt than the general distribution of a limited beer, of the sensitive, or fifth and last species of language, innumerable instances might be quoted, all understand the difference in meaning between cuffs and caresses between being shaken heartily by the hand and kicked rapidly downstairs, who, however ignorant, could look upon the latter as a compliment, or what fair maiden, however simple, would require a master to teach her how to construe a gentle compression of her fingers at parting, or a tender pressure of her toe under the dinner table, such as an imperfect sketch of the five languages appertaining to man, their island however, one other that which forms the subject of the present article pantomime and which may be considered as the natural form of the visible language literature being taken as the artificial. This is the most primitive as well as most comprehensive, of all, 
it is the earliest, as it is the most intuitive the smiles and frowns of the mother being the first signs understood by the infant. Indeed, if we consider for a moment that all existence is but a pantomime, of which time is the harlequin, changing today into a yesterday, summer into a winter, youth into old age, and life into death, and we but the clowns who bear the kicks and buffets of the scene, we cannot fail to desire the general cultivation of an art which constitutes the very essence of existence itself. Speech, says Tellerant, that profound political pantomimist, was given to conceal our thoughts, and truly this is the chief use to which it is applied. We are continually clamoring for acts in lieu of words. Let but the art of pantomime become universal, and this grand desideratum must be obtained. Then we shall find that candidates, instead of being able, as now, to become legislators by simply professing to be patriots, will be placed in the awkward predicament of having first to act as such, and that the clergy, in lieu of taking a tenth part of the produce for the mere preaching of Christianity, will be obliged to sacrifice at least a portion to charitable purposes, and practice it. Indeed, we are thoroughly convinced, that when the manifold advantages of this beautiful art shall be generally known, it cannot fail of becoming the principle of universal communication, nor do we despair of ultimately finding the elegant Lord A allowing his love for the beautiful Miss B by gently closing one of his eyes and the fair lady tenderly expressing that doubt and incredulity which are the invariable concomitants of love's young dream, by a gentle indication with the dexter hand over the sinister shoulder, an alligator chairman, an action was recently brought in the court of Queen's Bench against Mr. Walter, to recover a sum of money expended by a person named Clark, in wine, spirits, malt liquors, and other refreshments, during a contest for the representation of the borough of Southwark, one of the witnesses, who it appears was chairman of Mr. Walter's committee, swore that everything the committee had to eat or drink went through him. By a remarkable coincidence, the counsel for the plaintiff in the stippling case was Mr. Lush, an ode, picked up in K.I.L.L.P.A.C.K.'s divan, could know these very orum, excise court, and information was laid against Mr. Kilpack, for selling spirituous liquor. Mr. James the counsel for the defendant stated that there was a club held there, of which Mr. Keeley, the actor, was treasurer, and many odd.